Hi, I'm Luke Campbell. I work for a small wine company and he's Luke Morris. And and I have a really interesting thing to share. And together we are Luke's Talk Wine. We talk about all things wine and booze and popular culture. Thing, Think when to drink, why we drink it and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. What's happening? Mate, I've got something for you. Yeah, what do you I've call got a something magician? for you. Ooh. What do you call a magician who's lost his magic? Um, David Blaine. Ian. <laughs> okay. I'll let you work that out. All right, cool. <laughs> but other no than magic fan- in- oh, yeah. other than fantastic jokes, uh, we have got some <laughs> popular culture for you. Um, there's been a little bit of feedback actually about last week's descriptive words, which is great, but we've got listener questions from Margaret. Have a little bit of a quick flick through of what we've been drinking. And we'll also talk today about a couple of things that have come to light, kind of how, how our tastings have evolved and what really does happen to red wines as they age. We've touched on this before, but really not uh, at any depth or any great detail. So we'll get into that today as well. And there's a question. There's also, we'll talk to you about the world's best wine schools. And But first up, as every week, Luke Morris, hello to you and hello to the listening audience. Uh, hi, hi, Campbell. Um, so I got distracted. I'm still trying to work out the Ian joke. But anyway, um, I've got I've got something to share. Yeah, and so this is I'm I'm going to share this with a bunch of customers this episode because I've so been selling a wine this week, the Jarnberg Beautiful View Grenache 2012. Ooh, yeah. Uh, so Jarnberg, famous 2012. Annoyingly, that's now over a decade old. Um, and it is a good wine. I've had a lot of good feedback on the quality of the wine, but. It also has a unique deposit in many bottles. Yep. And I'm wondering if you, I thought I'd share for it because this this will this will uh, touch very briefly on what the purpose of a decanter is. And I thought I'd share what the unique deposit is because it looks like it's little worms. It looks like little widgety grub things dead at the bottom of a bottle that can sometimes wind up in the bottom of people's glasses. Yep. Have you Have you seen that kind of thing before? Yeah, they're like, um, you know, they're basically sugars and yeast combine and die. Um, what? Yeah, it starts with tea. They look like little wine diamonds or little crusty tartrates. Tartrates. Or yeah, but they can look like tartrates. But tart- this is more spongy than tartrates. Ooh, okay. It's it's a well, it's called a crystalline deposit of cucetin. Ooh. Q U E R C E T I N. This is this is official words from uh, Dionberg, uh, mm-hmm. and they can take a number of forms. They've been found to be small bean-shaped crisp crystals. Uh, these ones have been reddish, but they can be yellow or green, uh, and it's they they form along fiber lines, which is why they can form like the little um, roomy kind of deposits. Um, Just spell that again. What did you say? Cuitin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. 
Hmm. So it forms, uh, and, yeah, and it forms on these fiber lines, which can be mistaken for, you know, a, an, an animal because fiber, you know, yeah. forms like that. Um, um, blah, blah, I'm just skipping some bits that are really technical. Well, it does explain some technical analysis. They've, they've found these things in the bottle, in the bottom of the, some bottles of the giant bird, beautiful view. Uh, they've done technical analysis. It's uh, QSN and identified by the IR spectrometer. UV analysis shows AMAX 370 nm with a batromonic color shift of AM430. <laughs> righto, righto, righto. Number of <laughs> aluminium. Terms. So, uh, it's just one of those weird things that you can have at the base of a bottle. And like we, like you said, we're used to tartrates, we're used to crystals, but this is an, an, another thing that can just sort of settle and form out of wine. I assume this is just low filtration and as a result of a decade of ageing, this sort and, of deposit forms. And what, uh, so how do you get rid of it? How do, you, how do you get rid of any kind of uh, uh, sedimentary kind of thing that forms at the base of a bottle, Campbell? You uh, like so just decanter. Yeah, I was going to say you stand it upright for a period of time and then decant over the top of it. Yep. There's only two reasons to decant a wine. It's one because it's so young it needs time out of the bottle to breathe and express itself. Uh, or two, because it's so old, it has some sort of deposit at the bottom and it needs to be separated from that. Only two reasons that you can to, as far as I'm, I'm aware. And those, those are it. Hmm. Get a, well, there you go. Get a vase or a, a bowl or a saucepan, or whatever you want that you can pour out of and decanter. You beauty. That's, I'm going to share that with customers who bought that wine recently just so they can, uh, because uh, I suspect that some people would rather listen to this kind of conversation than have an uh, a, a, a long analysis like I was reading to you and you stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we're just all we're all about the real the real the realness on this podcast, Luke Morris, which I, I love. We don't need to, you know, bore listeners with bicarbonate, potassiums, and molecular discussions. We can just move on. It sounds like someone's bored you recently with some bicarbonate discussions and manipulation. <laughs> oh, it happens. Well, actually, it, and and how it happens brings me on to the first topic of our week. Would you like to be smarter and do good in the world? Luke Morris here. I sold out shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with the Wine Science Show. And now that show is in book form. It's only $15 and 100% of profits go to charity. So donate and learn and laugh with the Wine Science Show book. Go to lukemorrisha.com.au or follow the link in the Luke's Talk Wine Instagram bio. And this week I have been applying, actually, which I do every year. It's a bit of habitual now. Uh, throughout May and throughout June, I end up putting together a submission. Every year I apply to the Len Evans Tutorial, which is oh. a... Um, uh, you know, it's a very exclusive wine school where they go and they teach judges, as a lot of listeners will know. I participate in the judging circuit regularly, but it got me to thinking about how I learned wine. And then I thought, Murray, you know, like like you, I, I grew up in and around vineyards, not on one like yourself, but 
uh, like, where did you, and I'm not talking about rote learning, I'm talking about learning. Where did you go to wine school at? I never went to wine school, Campbell. No, but in the school of life, you had a lot of experience on vineyards. Ah, so rote learning, you mean as in, uh, yeah, write down, repeat after me, uh, that kind of read a book. Now, rewrite that book back to me so I know that you've read the book, kind of. That's it. That's it. So I know you didn't do that type of wine school, but you certainly did go through the wine school of life. And so where where did that schooling come from? Uh, Last week's episode, Mick Nippard. listening to to, talking to you uh working on vineyard um really just all of that kind of hands-on experience uh when 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 i started in in um in the wine industry you got a job because you could move a box and and (laughs) i i think i think people were afraid of you if you if you walked in there so i just want to learn about wine it's like well you've you've got to actually work and so I just walk, walked in and worked and got exposed to a whole lots of things. Um, I use the word things because uh, when you when you start at the bottom, you you get exposed to a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I just I just I just I just worked, mate. I just asked questions. I occasionally read a book and watch a TV show, or I just join you guys. You know, probably the most valuable thing, and I still try and force this on people I work with, though they're not particularly that interested in it, is when you have a a glass of wine with people, really dissecting it in terms of drinking it blind, as we do when we play options, and and say something like, what do you think this is? And and really, you know, making sure that it's a... um, uh, in in a writer's room, there are no bad ideas. So in in wine terms, there is there is no wrong answer, no. Um, unless unless you're looking at a glass of red and say it's Chardonnay, you, you, there's nothing wrong. So you just say, "What do you think this is?" Okay, and then why? And the more you sort of listen to other people's responses so if someone says i think this is from the pyrenees why do you think it's from the pyrenees oh because yeah. i can see sort of this eucalypti kind of character and it reminds me of shiraz but it's not made with a lot of oak or, or ripeness that you might see in mclaren vale so i think it's a shiraz from a slightly cooler climate that has some eucalyptus and therefore i think it's from the pyrenees and you sit there and you listen to someone say that kind of thing and you smell the glass and you think gosh yeah, I can, yeah, I can see that, and I understand why they're saying that. It's like a debate. Yeah, and you learn a lot from that, and yeah, I, 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 all, all, all of that kind of stuff. Talking, Mick Nippard spouting his interest, you spouting interest uh, about Italian wine, even though I'm not that interested in Italian wine. <laughs> about Italian wine, that yeah, that's. Not. That's probably, and I did a lot of research. I've done a lot of science research. People who buy my book, actually. People who buy my book, a friend of mine, um, uh, I won't go into too many details. I'm just going to start donating all the profits from, from the book to um, some charities because um, I'd rather have an empty box. So, um, But, yeah, researching that book, I did a lot of scientific research and just reading of history. And um, 
Well, just I'm, just I'm, just personal curiosity, but yeah, that's that's my answer. I, I think you know your 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 drive and your experience has has absolutely helped with those formative years of wine knowledge. And so when I was thinking about this submission for the Len Evans, I was thinking, what is my wine experience? And people may or may not know Len Evans. He was obviously the godfather of Australian wine, and he was an Order of Australia recipient. But he, he had a lengthy wine judging career. Anyway, back in yeah. 2001, they founded the Len Evans Tutorial. And basically, the program is run almost entirely by volunteers. And you go there, <clears throat> and the founding tutors, James Halliday and Ian Riggs and Ian McKenzie, Gary Steele and the like, industry sponsors and benefactors provide the wine. And these guys do, do the tute with you. And they're all you know, recipients or scholars are all industry people. And as a wine judge, you're, you're welcome to apply. So I, I got to thinking, what is my wine experience? And like you, Luke, I thought about the best experience that I've had when I've been, you know, up to my waist in skins, digging out of that <laughs> or, you know, it, it, taking off my shorts and getting in down to my Reg Grundies and jumping in a vat and stomping or, or have you, you know, re- or, have or you really what? done that? I think we've probably discussed that. Well, I have that. done that. You, you have done foot training, and but not just for show, the actual. Not just for show. So you, when you do that gentler pillage and extraction with your feet, it's actually much, it doesn't extract all the bitter molecules in the in the, in the skin. So, um, and it's actually quite cathartic. Hard work once you get into it. Once you're doing oh, it is. three and four vats at a time, it's quite hard work. Yeah, that's that's um, why in, in Portugal they have a smoke and a glass of port while they do it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And further to that, some of the best experience I've had is blind tasting in those yeah. vats. And so oh, really? you're looking at the wine and you're thinking, <laughs> what is this wine? Where is it from? And it might either be a finished wine, it might be free-run juice, or it might be something from that vintage. And you're forced you're literally surrounded by wine and you're forced to think about it. And whether I was, you know, knee deep in the Barossa or sniffing vats in Heathcote or picking vineyards in the Hunter, I, I kind of related to those being my best and most learned experience. And so I've penned these down in this application for what is basically effectively the world's most exclusive wine school. Oh, it's an extremely good thing to do. I thought you'd already done that like many years ago, but I thought you'd done the course before. You haven't. I've never, ever been accepted, Luke. Like wow. I've, I've applied probably, oh, I reckon I've probably applied, if not a dozen, maybe, oh, I reckon I I reckon 14 times probably if I went back and looked at all of my submissions. I think we should get a campaign going. We should, we should <laughs> well, get a a, 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 a send Campbell to Len Evans tutorial sign-up list. All of our listeners should, should write in to the uh, determining factors and tell them. Well, I can, I can, I can only hope. I can only hope, Luke. What, what, but then what's, I what's it called that? Is it like crowdfund? Not like crowdfunding, but yeah, um, um, I think petition. Right. We have a petition. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so then I got to thinking, Len Evans Tutorial, the most exclusive wine school in, in the world, where else do you go to study? Like, and I know 
there's you know the big burgundy school of business which is in Dujon like that's probably a really popular wine school UC Davis in California is probably the one that's most recognized worldwide for their study of um, viticultural and uh, oenology. You hear about that, particularly in your research of Jurif, uh, you would have heard about UC Davis. Uh, the other one is the, the wine school in Bordeaux, which is a big <laughs> futuristic building. Um, which I've actually, I've stood outside of and I can't remember. It's got an acronym for a name. It'll come to me, but it's a basically business school and wine market. Kedge, uh, the Kedge School in Bordeaux, which is right on the River Gironde and does wine management and wine business, which is very famous. So there's a few out there exclusive wine schools, but the Len Evans tutorial is one that certainly I aspire to. And it just allows you the opportunity to go meet up with like-minded people. There's only 12 scholars every year. Is the Len Evans is it, is it open to the public or is it really um, uh, you, it could be basis? open to the public if you had had wine judging experience, provided you were a uh, of a professional nature and you had had uh, wine judging experience both in regional and or national shows, you could apply. What about so for the dear listener, would there be something that they might aspire to? To join, I mean, aspire to join might be. I, I'm just thinking of the Australian Wine Centre in Adelaide. Mm. Would do they do public courses that you would recommend, or do you know anything about them? I know Denise, the, the, you the and public, I know Denise the, Dwyer used to used to run courses there, and she's very good. But I don't know. She moved on. I don't know if they're still running that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. I do know here in Melbourne, both, um, you know, regular beginners courses, Vinify does the advanced courses. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is, this is all a plug for Vinify, is it? <laughs> <And then> all, <laughs> I fell also, into your we, trap. <laughs> and then also the Melbourne Wine School also do industry courses as well if you wanted to up your game with your industry. But the Len Evans tutorial is just purely Australian wine, hospitality, industry professionals. No. But you, you are very good, Campbell. If anybody is thinking they want to up their game, uh, Luke Campbell Vinified. Do 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 knock <laughs> do knock on Campbell's door. And you could find me at Vinified underscore wine underscore services on the gram. But other than that, moving right along, mm-hmm. I list the question this week. Marcus from Melbourne writes, Dear Luke's Plural. <laughs> Correct usage. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you. Why is it common for a sparkling wine to be offered as non-vintage, but not other wines generally? Oh, wow. Oh, I had an argument with someone just this week about that. I can't... <laughs> Marcus, you, your, your name's not... I shouldn't name them. Gosh, it was an odd conversation. They, they purchased 17 non-vintage wines from me, and then started to complain that they got the last one they got was non-vintage and why is it non-vintage what is non-vintage who would make such a non-vintage thing i want to return non-vintage non-vintage is nothing (laughs) most champagne is non-vintage what are you talking about uh why is it why is it a thing oh well the um it's it's non-vintage for those who don't know it means that the wine in the bottle 
is from multiple vintages. So a vintage is when you harvest the fruit. So in 2023, there's one point when they harvest the fruit. In Australia, that's usually around March, April, usually. Though those who don't believe in climate change will not believe that sometimes we've been harvesting in February because of heat in the last few years. But historically, for decades and decades, it's March, April. Um, and so that fruit is harvest. That's harvested in two, 2023. It's vinified. And 2023 will be put on the label because that's the vintage. That's when it was from. But if you were to blend that juice with something you had in barrel or tank or wherever storage from 2022, 2021 to, or any year in the past, it would be from not just one year. So it would be non-vintage. Um, and that's the NV you see mostly on sparkling wine because the process of sparkling wine involves, let's just call it assemblage, with the process of trying to maintain a consistent house style every single year. So um, Verve Clicquot, Moet and Chandon, um, Bollinger, they all have a house style in order to maintain consistency every year that they release that every time they release that champagne, they don't want the variation that you can have vintage to vintage. So they hold back stock and blend it so that you have a champagne that tastes as good as every time you've had it with no variation. So it's non... And that's why they make this non-vintage product. Yeah. but and, by, and That's by basically blend. it. Isn't it? Exactly. That that is it. In a nutshell, by blending the wines from different years, Marcus, the winemaker's given this flexibility to have a more consistent style or consistent wine, moreover, from year to year. It significantly helps the winemaker, he or she, smooth out any issues that are caused by weather events or yeah. Um, you know, acid dropouts in the winery or during during any particular growing season. However, the reverse is absolutely true for a still winemaker. He doesn't want to iron out any of those kinks from different regions or different weather events. He wants to highlight those. So if you're making <clears throat> if you're making Pinot in Macedon and you're also producing sparkling wine in Macedon you'll produce that wine sparkling over several years and it'll taste the same it'll have that honeyed brioche green apple crisp green apple however the pinot used in a still wine will reflect each separate year and the weather events that in the corresponding year and that's what makes the pursuit of winemaking perfection so difficult is there any, do you know of any historical reason or any, any other reason? Like, um, I, I, I know storage is a problem for a lot of people. And so once you make a wine to blend multiple vintages, um, that's a fun fact, M MV, multiple vintages, uh, you, you will see that on Krug because Krug has trademarked that as a, as a thing. It's, it's it's the same thing as non-vintage, I think, Campbell, but it is yeah, just exactly the same M thing. MV, and they 
want to be slightly unique like that. But there's no um, – you say, you say they want to have that expression of vintage for Pinot Noir or Shiraz or something and not blend to consistency. I, I'm just wondering if there's any, you know, reason why you would – I have seen non-vintage red wines. So have I, yeah. There's no – why wouldn't you do? Why don't you take a vintage, let's say something like two thousand and eleven, and people who released two thousand and eleven fruit? Why would you not hold the back and blend in some two thousand and twelve, which was a better vintage? Well, it'd be it'd be a preservation issue. Like you'd have to dump a whole lot of sugar, or you'd have to, yeah. which is illegal by the way. Or you might have to use. Um, you might have to trick up the acid. You might need more barrels. Like it'd be. A, that's like, true. That's and in really sparkling wine, the acid is always higher, so you can store that with a little bit of. Ease I reckon that's that some you homework. couldn't store with red wine in the same sort of way because it would. Ah, uh, not necessarily because. You know, Reschke is yeah. store. Um, they closed in around two thousand and fourteen, um, with legal disputes. A lot of their wine was placed into tank. And they're now only releasing that wine now. So it's 2000, uh, sorry, 2014 they closed. 2014 wines are being released. And they look pretty, pretty fresh. And they've just Under the Rescue the label? Yeah. The, the new owners have purchased the brand name and the, and the wine that was in tanks. Really? Do you know who the new owners are? CW Wines. Oh. Do you know CW Wines? No. Kunawawa Wines. They now own Woolithorn. Uh, they own that brand, so Ulithorn brand, Reschke brand, um, and the brand Schoolhouse, they release wines under that brand. Uh, DeVitt and Moore is their brand. There's a few brands that they own. Okay. They're buying things up. But anyway, off off track a little bit, we were just, just talking about why you would, how you would go about storing red wine. You'd have to store it in a large tank, and it would deteriorate slightly differently to the way... Uh, the champagne production would store. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Good question, though, Marcus. You've given me uh, a little bit of homework there. I'm going to do some further research on that. Um, but it is very, very interesting. Yeah. In the short of it, uh, non-vintage because champagne wants to have a house style. That's it. Luke Morris. Yeah. A red wine, a red wine... On the back of last week's episode and our percentage of the grapes grown and the the most, you know, the widely drank through and we got a bit of feedback on that as well. I got thinking to about how a wine, well, actually it was suggested to me that how those wines evolve. And I thought probably today, you know, we've got, got some time before the end of today's episode. We could just drill down on how a red wine, not any particular variety, but more so a style, what happens, what actually happens to a red wine as it evolves, as it ages? Oh, it's funny. We should have started talking about tartrates and and compounds dropping out of a bottle and and sitting at the base of the bottle because that's what happens with age. It will... the um, Acids and all the all the, the the those chemical elements 
might uh, start bonding and you start seeing uh, sediment. And as they drift out of the wine, you're left with different kind of characters. What I, The way I tend to explain it for aged wine is uh, piano accordion. I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before. No, where are you going with this? <laughs> piano accordion. I've met, I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Pressed, pressed together piano accordion is all tight. Um, and you might have seen those uh, really ornate piano accordions that when you open them out, there's like a, a countryside picture on the side of the um, uh, the, 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 the bellow squeeze kind of thing. Squeeze of box. There's a squeeze box and then there's, a, there's sort of like a I, I want to say paper, let's call it paper, um, sort of uh, element in between the, the two ends of the piano accordion or squeeze box. And then in, you can see a picture open out as, as it squeezes in and out to, to make their music. But if you have a piano accordion that's pressed together, that picture is all pressed in and tight. And that's because on either side of it, you've got tannins and acids holding all of that flavor together. But as that opens out, because over time the, the tannins and acids fall away, that layered picture starts to appear. And oh, so yeah. it's not as rich and condensed and, and uh, I want to say heavy, but the piano recording is going to same, weigh the same. But you get the idea. It's not as pressed together and condensed as when it's pressed together. But when it's opened out, it's a lot more delicate. You can see a lot more of the pattern. You can see a lot more elements. Some of the things will have disappeared, um, but you actually have a, a, a much more detailed picture. And that's the way I look at wine ages. It's the same and sort of thing. Ironically, as a white wine ages, it gets darker. But as red wines age and evolve, they get lighter. Yeah. So when you're examining the wine and you're looking at the rim of a wine, Colour, red yeah. wine particularly really give you an idea of their age. Before you want to slurp the wine, you can get a bit of a picture by just by looking at rim wine. And it's a really important note, particularly if you're doing it blind. And when you're assessing the wine, to look at that rim, that outer rim, because if it's clear, you know it's a young wine. But if it's beginning to change colour, you know it's of age. Yeah. Yeah. Colour is a thing because so as the uh, the acids bond together, you start getting a, a deeper colour in, in white wine. I think this is why it happens because the colour refraction is hitting a denser um denser compound but for red wine you're having tannin uh drift away and drift into the base of the bottle and you get the sediment and because it's drifting out of the wine you having a, a faded color you get your mm. your brick your brick color the classic brick red uh rim yes what have you been drinking, Luke Morris? Oh, um, actually, again, uh, something that we talked about recently, screw cap. I last night I um I I, I sort of celebrated um, having done a few long runs recently. I opened up a two thousand and ooh, I think it was two thousand two, uh, Pondalowry 
special release Tempanillo. Ooh. And it was it was looking very, 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 very fresh. Um and I think that's that's when the early that's early years of screw cap closure. Mm-hmm. And we talked about you you, well, you talked about the um way that screw caps can now determine the ingress of oxygen. Yep. And I would hazard a guess and say that this is early enough that there was um either a Thank lot of a lot of belief of the amount of oxygen that's in the bottle at um uh bottling because you have that yeah. gap that's the amount of oxygen that is supposed to age the wine and therefore you don't need any ingress or ingress was very limited because yeah. it was so um it seemed to have been you know stored in still tank kind of condition like nothing like it was Mm. It was it was as fresh as it had been. No, it had aged yeah. a little bit, but yeah. not substantially. It, it nice. looked it looked it looked really really young as in two thousand and two, and yeah, I was I was I was curious about what if you had any thoughts on. Do you think that's the ingress? Do you think there's any? Do you think it could just be the quality of the wine because it is good wine? But what mm. what do you think? I think it would probably have something to do, yes, with the Stelvin closure, um, allowing more, you know, yeah, what it, and what it was allowing in, and also possibly, you know, just just the, the trajectory of the wine and the fruit. Obviously, it was good fruits, good wine. Knowing you, it would have been stored very well um, and not shuffled around too much, you know. So I think it's probably just, I think that's just a testament to the wine more so than the Stelvin closure. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've got. I, I discovered this is one of those things where you look at old wine, and I was one going to wind up drinking most of it by myself. Um, yeah. So I just thought, ah, oh, I know when I've been the last of something, I'd rather share that with somebody. But I've I discovered I had uh, I, I tucked away some of it in one corner of the cellar and some other bottles in another corner of the cellar so i had more than i thought so i thought well that this is, is win. this is bonus wine hey. <laughs> there endeth the lesson <laughs> <laughs> always have some wine stored somewhere where you've forgotten you put it as <laughs> as, as you discovered with mick nippard's uh cellaring technique hiding things at, around the old place. Yes. Yeah. always hide <laughs> Oh, very good. What, what about you, Campbell? What, what have you been getting um, into? That is a good question. I have been drinking, I'm just been drinking those medium body reds. I've been a bit, little bit sporadic. Actually, you know, oh, I know what I had. Um, uh, we've got a dinner coming up with Chris Catlow of Sentio Wines in Beechworth uh, later in the year, actually on July 6th and here in Melbourne. And I had we had a little bit of a pork ham hock soup on Saturday night, and I got out some of the samples that Chris sent me that he would like to show, and it was the Centio Gamay, which actually come, doesn't come from Beach, it actually comes from King Valley. But oh my lord, this was just juicy, high toned, bright fruit, but just with that under under you know like uh, you know that forest floury undergrowth note. 
it wasn't it wasn't deep and dark like you would expect from a Pinot Noir, but it was just this really juicy fruit, just these subtle tones of undergrowth and kind of pine mushroom. It was just delicious, actually. Lighter in alcohol, you know, a little, little bit under 13, 12.8 or something it was, and it was just really bright and, you know, just a bit of ham hock and the fat of that was just delicious. Well, Gamay is what's Beaujolais, and even, even yes. though winemaking has, has, an, has a thumbprint, you'd expect a bit more lightness than you would from um, a straight Pinot Noir if you're following a uh, Absolutely. Uh, 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 just the the uh, regional inspiration of Gamay versus the rest of Bur- of uh, Beaujolais versus the rest of Burgundy or Burgundy proper. Oh, a- absolutely! And it was just it was one of those wines you just didn't have to think about. So lovely, so juicy, and yeah, I'm lo- looking forward to Chris's dinner. We're having it actually at Scopri. Uh, here in Melbourne. If you're in Melbourne, there is still some tickets on my website on Thursday night, the 6th of July. Come along, meet Chris, hear us banter along about his new release wines, mainly reds on that night, although Chris is famous for some of his Chardonnay work. We'll show some oh. of those. He he worked with Benjamin Lou in Burgundy for a while, so no doubt I'll bring one of Ben's wines along as well, but that is uh, some good fun. Details are on the website anyway. Chris, that's, that, that's, cu- that's curious because, yeah, uh, uh... I remember you talked to Chris about Chardonnay. His his love is. I always yeah. I, historically Chardonnay was his his premium um, focus. But uh, this is this is Pinot Noir Gamay focused dinner. Uh yeah. So his reds basically uh, <laughs> look at he'll he's releasing one of his uh, whites, but we'll look at his yeah Pinot Noir Gamay. Hope I'm trying to pry some of his Nebbiolo out of the cellar. Oh, that's good too. Mm. So we'll have a look at that. Chris has worked all over the world, but you know he he basically fell in love with Barry Moray from Sorenberg. He didn't fall in love with Barry. He fell in love with wine and Barry. Oh, helped you him. can but, fall in love with Barry. He's allowed to. <laughs> he's a legend. Uh, <laughs> and he worked. He worked with Benjamin Larue in Burgundy. He worked with Lindsay McCall at Paringa, Sandro Moselle at, at Porty and Keong. So yeah. he's very well credentialed, yeah, yeah, yeah. lad. And I'm looking forward to catching up with him in July. But um, here's a story. Yeah. Oh, go for it. I don't know if I should tell this, but I remember I've, I've known Chris for a while. He was working at uh, Port Sea Estate, and they offered him a, like a plum job managing part of Port Sea Estate, but it wasn't in winemaking. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those sliding career, career-defining sort of moments where he's just sort of like. He could have taken the plum job money, or he just went. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna f- follow my dream and and take the alternative, harder route of winemaking. And because there wasn't an opportunity, with, even though you know they they liked him and and admired him enough to offer him a great job, there wasn't a spot for him in the winemaking there. So he he took he took an alternative route and. You'd wow. say it's paid off for him because I would. Yeah, he, I would say it's paid off great for stuff him. Stuff. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd endorse anyone going to read that dinner. Yeah, I love, I love seeing his wines, and I just lo- love. He is one of those winemakers that can just tell a story through his vineyard, and uh, ultimate respect. Look forward to it. It's on the sixth of July, anyway. I think that's one of those things when you talk about because you're dealing with someone who who really, really has a passion for what they're doing. And 
that just that honesty comes through. Yeah. Um, so that'd be good. Yeah. And with that, we will leave it there and wrap up our show for today's episode. But Luke Morris, thank you very much. Thank you, Campbell. Uh, and you, can, you can you can contact us at. Is it? Were you going to ask me how do people contact us? I was going. <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> um, uh, uh, normally, I do some long-winded thing like uh, uh, skywriting, hire someone in the uh, to 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 fly a plane over the over the center of Melbourne with uh, some chemtrails, uh, writing a question to us, but. Uh, uh, Luke's talk wine at gmail.com is the more direct path. And or just like Marcus, Marcus did earlier in the week as he slid in to our DMs, you're more than welcome oh. to do that on social media, okay. um, which you can find us on Instagram at Luke's talk wine. You can find myself, uh, vinified underscore wine underscore services on Instagram. You can find Luke Morris out there anywhere. Ask a friend, send a telegram use Morse code you will find luke morris somewhere and buy a book luke, luke luke what's it luke morris au. i think i'll put a link on the instagram thing no if you on the instagram thing if you go to our bio you can there's a link tree i'm pretty sure yeah and there you can press to go directly to vinified or directly to uh the books and yeah i'm, I'm going to donate all the profits to charity to um, buy the book help a friend donate to charity do some good. In the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. It can be really hard to justify opening a bottle of wine from the cellar on a Tuesday night when all you want is one glass. And that's why we've started Unbottled Wines. We're delivering seasonally curated, ultra-premium wines from acclaimed Australian winemakers. These are wines that have never before seen the inside of a box and may never again. Why a box? because the box keeps wine fresh for up to 40 days after it's opened, unlike the bottle, which goes off after three or four. So if you would like to be able to drink exceptional wine one glass at a time, check out Unbottled Wines. Use the code VINIFIED at checkout and save 10%.